Welcome to Lunch Money. You have tuned in to the online and social media home for special situations, workouts, and capital raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios. I am the director here at Hermes Capital, and I am your Lunch Money host. So a very, very warm welcome to you. Um, today, we are going to put the spotlight on small business. Uh, we're going to ask the question, what are small businesses doing well, and um, what, uh, what could they do better? Uh, there's, it's a, I get the feeling I was lucky enough to be in Brisbane this week, and I must say that uh, everything is very upbeat uh, up in the up in the sunny state. So good luck to you uh, to you all up there. Um, but I do I do get the feeling that that it is a two speed uh, two speed SME sector. So uh, we have uh, Matt Atkins from uh, who is the current president of CAFPA, the current uh, Commercial Asset Finance Brokers Association, who will be joining us. And I have Louisa Sijabat, who is uh, a director of Vincent's and Insolvency practice here in Sydney. But before I go to them, I would just like to remind you to uh, share, like, or subscribe to our humble podcast and live stream here. Don't keep us all to yourself. Share us uh, with your friends um, and, and uh, we can all, all uh, benefit from the uh, the wisdom and knowledge that comes from our very special guests uh, every week. Now, without further ado, I'm going to introduce our first guest, Louisa Sijabat. Hi, Nick. Hey, Louisa. How Thanks are you going? Going you are well, very, very well. Excellent. Now, Louisa uh, is a trustee in bankruptcy. She's a liquidator and she is the director at Vincent's. Uh, at, at Vincent's, she leads the firm's Sydney, uh, Sydney Insolvency and Restructuring team. Did you come from Brisbane or were you always? I've always been a Sydney girl, born here, right. grew up here, schooled yeah. here, worked here. I've never actually worked in any other city. So, Sydney right, it is right, through right. and through. <laughs> Okay, but when Vincent's made the big move to Sydney, you were the uh, you were the tip of the spear. Well, hopefully so, and uh, just doing my best, Nick. <laughs> okay, very good. All right, Louisa. Well, what has been keeping you busy this week? Um, lots of new inquiries, actually. So ever since about the third week of January, we've had quite an uptick in inquiries, and it's come from a whole um, range of industry sectors and a whole range of um, people making the inquiry. So we've had, um, uh, say, a restaurant inquiry that was the restaurants in Sydney, Sydney, so a hospitality type thing, had an inquiry about a retailer, also Sydney City-based, so that's the retail industry. Um, had inquiries um, across the travel and tourism industry. So it's really quite spread, but the industries themselves are not a surprise to a lot of people intuitively. We've had inquiries from the company directors themselves. Um, we're also getting inquiries from trade suppliers looking to liquidate or bankrupt those who haven't paid. I haven't had an ATO um, uh, inquiry in a little while, but I have heard that they're starting to pick up. Um, I've also had a safe harbour inquiry, so um, somebody looking to potentially um, uh, safeguard themselves against an insolvent trading claim if the restructuring they want to do um, doesn't work out. So a real cross-section, but a real pickup in the number of inquiries compared to 2020. Um, so I think people are beginning to actively think about what happens at the end of JobKeeper, whether they're still on it, or even if they're not, what happens because their customers might be on it or what's the flow and effect? Right. Well, you just preempted my, my, my next question to you. I was going to ask you, it sounds like you're getting two kinds of 
people making or uh, asking questions. One is the people that may be wondering about what's going to happen to their business when JobKeeper comes off and other people who are maybe uh, wondering how they're going to get paid uh, when, when JobKeeper comes off. You're, you're talking to a lot of accountants. Um, uh, what, what, what's their major concerns? Uh, making sure that their clients are ready for the end of JobKeeper. Um, accountants do know that a lot of their clients don't like doing paperwork and um, can be slow to get them things that they might not be as proactive as they need to be. And sometimes um, uh, what I have heard is, through the accountants is that clients only like to do what is you know, required by the ATO. We'll lodge the buzz because we have to. We'll lodge the tax return because we have to. But the client sometimes can be a bit hesitant about getting their accountant involved at things like budgeting and cash flow planning because they're like, oh, surely we can do that on our own. And the majority of time they either don't do it or don't do it well. And so I would um, think that is something that businesses can do a little bit better on, make sure they're planning their cash flow ahead of time. Hmm. Okay. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll get to that shortly. Look, just before I um, just before I introduce our next guest, um, I am curious. This uh, small business restructuring. I'm not talking about the simplified liquidation, but the small business restructuring. I think it, it, there's been maybe one, possibly two. Um, certainly that I've noticed. That if, if there's more than that, it'll only be one or two more than that. We're now the 26th of February, so technically, you know, 57 days into this year. Um, now, 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 the Prime Minister or the Treasurer, I can't remember who it was, uh, extended safe harbour for small businesses on the basis that uh, people such as yourself were going to be just too busy. So are you, are you just absolutely run off your feet and you've squeezed us in today because you're flooded with small businesses? I mean, what's, what's happened? Yeah, you're so right. Um, small business restructuring hasn't taken off particularly quickly. Um, in my opinion, there's a couple of thoughts for that. Firstly, there's the it, it takes time to get used to a new system and a new piece of legislation and something new for um, uh, company directors who wish to try and rescue their companies and their advisors who are advising them on it. So I think it does take time to educate directors and their advisors, such as accountants and lawyers, about the process so that they can work out if it's a good fit for them, who it's a good fit for, and then for that situation to actually arise. So I think there's still, um, functionally, I think we're still in an education type of phase. Um, I think the reforms will, are good for small businesses because um, they give the opportunity for the small business to have their director stay in charge of the company while they try and restructure it, which is something we haven't seen in Australia. So it's really quite exciting. But I think yeah. people are still learning about it. So I think that's why. I think it will become more popular. But at the moment, you're so right. There's so few of them in Australia. Um, but I think it's um, something we're still learning as an industry. That, that, that could be one right now. Um, it, it sounds, um, yeah, look, it sounds yeah. like it's full of good nutrition but tastes terrible at this point in time uh, and, and so nobody's biting. All right, listen, Louise, we're going to put you back in the waiting room there and we're going to introduce our next guest, uh, Matthew Atkin. Hey, Matthew, how are you going? Hey, Nick, how are you, mate? Thanks for having Very me. Very well. Very well indeed. And Matt is uh, coming to us uh, from Melbourne. Um, so that's that's very exciting. Now, Matt, you are a principal at Atlas Broker. So you're a commercial finance broker financing um, all, all, all sorts of equipment. And you have been doing that uh, for many, many years. Um, but uh, for your sins, and uh, if, if you don't feel it's so for your sins yet, I bet you will by the end of the year. For your sins, you are the current president 
of the Commercial Asset Finance Brokers Association. Um, so just tell us, just in a, in a nutshell, tell us what, what CAFPA is and, uh, and then tell us what it is that's, uh, that's been keeping you busy this week. Uh, it's the Commercial and Asset Finance Brokers Association, and obviously we represent the commercial brokers across the country. Uh, we're really focused on education, uh, we're really focused on advocacy, uh, and really trying to lift the standards in our industry uh, to allow great customer outcomes. Uh, and that's really what CAFPA is all about. Uh, in terms of my week, uh, it's so diverse now having so many hats with obviously CAFPA and, and my Atlas broker role. Uh, from a, from a being a commercial broker and running a business, we're really turning our attention now from a defensive mindset as a business owner to being quite um, quite uh, growth focused in terms of our business. And so that's we're really uh, we're putting on new staff and um, and uh, being aggressive with our targets. So that's been really important for us. And but from a, a CAFPA point of view, um, really interesting week. I've been up in, in Canberra for dinner with Michael Suker, the assistant treasurer, treasurer talking about. The responsible lending, which is primarily consumer-based, but obviously has some implications within commercial uh, unintended, uh, and uh, preparing for the um, the Senate Economics uh, Committee uh, in about an hour's time as well. So wow. uh, it's quite a diverse week that I've had. All right. Now, some of my friends on Twitter are um, uh, right; they're mad about this um, responsible lending. My my personal mm. view, which I, I'm willing to take a risk that I'm at odds with you, I'm not sure. But my personal view is that uh, you know, if, if mum and dad want to sit around the kitchen table uh, and decide that you know they're going to toss their jobs in and you know hock their house and buy a business and give it a go, they should be able to do that. You know, I don't I don't personally like the idea of the the government intervening, and uh, I think that the response Responsible lending legislation was a, a knee-jerk reaction to an American problem. Like we didn't have the the no no income, no job home loans here in Australia, and I feel as though the treasurer at the time, it was Wayne Swan, knee-jerk reacted to that. But that's just my my view. What's what's what's, uh, what's your view? Well, my view is that I think it's fine to have some consumer protections in there, but they've got to they shouldn't be hamstringing lending to the point that they are. So you know, uh, and from a I, I speak purely from the commercial point of view, and, and that that. The unintended consequence of that legislation is that we've got small, medium enterprise who are struggling to get finance when perhaps they shouldn't be, um, yeah. and that's that's what I'm focusing. Yeah, because I, I, look for a while. I mean, tell me if this is still the case. For a while, even though I mean, in in black and white, my understanding is that the responsible lending it's not supposed to apply in the commercial space, but that a lot of the banks were behaving anyway. They were. Yeah applying the same sort of safeguards uh, to, to the commercial space. So it was very frustrating for brokers who were trying to say, but hang on, this, this, is, not a, this is a commercial deal, it's not a consumer deal. Is, it, is that still going on? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've got examples we'll talk about today. So <laughs> our, our role uh, is to really try and highlight that and make sure that that practice stops. And so aside from now, I remember when we, we were at real risk of those consumer laws applying to the commercial space and CAFPA did an outstanding job um, of, 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 you know, advocating for small business at a time when other small business voices, I think, were getting a little bit confused and saying, oh, yes, we must protect small business, but not realising that that by, by wrapping them in cotton wool, you were stopping them from being able to borrow, and, and CAFPA really cut through that, which was fantastic. So, what what else is uh, what what else is on the agenda for you guys apart from this uh, responsible lending? What is it that's uh, 
that's that you're doing for for commercial brokers and by extension for small businesses what's top of the plate top of the agenda uh, that's number one uh, yeah. at the moment and, and and further to that it's probably it's talking about access to credit more broadly we've obviously had a lot of businesses go on relief and we're trying to work through that um, because we want to make sure that uh, servicing isn't impacted by that so we're talking about that we're, we're hoping to see a um, <clears throat> Uh, a reinstatement of a lot of the products that got taken off the market, so lending becomes more easily more easily available more uh, to to our members and their clients. Uh, but then, as a sort of a longer term position, we're we're in the process of uh, we're about to release our, our next three year strategy, which will really be uh, heavily tilted towards education and professionalism. Um, there's a lot of talk in the market about diversification of mortgage brokers into commercial, and we welcome that, uh, provided they've got the right education and we, we're looking to provide those courses. We've set up the Education Council, which is headed by um, Terry Moody, um, which is doing amazing things right now. So there's already a Cert for and a diploma course, and obviously we're working on the Australianisation of the TLFP, which is pretty exciting. Um, so really the next three years is going to be a continuation of the, the advocacy education professionalism and engagement with our members right yeah well that's 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 interesting um I, I, look um you know traditionally through through my you know my life in uh, in commercial finance you know equipment finance brokers have been a very distinct group and they're very commercially focused and mm. you know you obviously mortgage brokers have had a different focus it's that is different mortgage brokers i've always thought uh, they sort of live in a more genteel sort of space where there seems to be time, whereas with equipment yeah. finance brokers, it's always the client always needs the money yesterday. I mean, we funded a matter the other day. We funded an aircraft um, and uh, we couldn't understand why everybody was so agitated. It was because the client had taken delivery of the thing two weeks ago, you know, before the thing even, <laughs> even hit our desk. So uh, everybody was very agitated. Um, okay, well, that's so that's interesting. So you're seeing, so part of the role of CAFPA is then uh, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, bringing 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 other mortgage brokers into the fold and educating them uh, in the ways of commercial finance. Yeah, absolutely. We're really happy to yeah. do it. Um, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. diversification is yeah. important. Uh, competition gives good outcomes for clients, but they've yeah. got to be educated to the right level because whether you call it genteel or not, but you, you'll tend to find that the commercial and asset finance or equipment finance trust scenarios, every one of them is different. Um, and so that takes a while to understand how to put that together. So we're just trying to make sure that they've got that expertise, um, whereas in a mortgage, it tends to be more homogenous um, with the process. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, we will bring back Louisa. And Louisa, just uh, while I had Matt there, because I, I, I've got need reading glasses to read and but um <laughs> i look much more attractive without my reading glasses so but i have jill lawrence has put a question up let me just flash it up now this uh jill lawrence i think is from the institute of chartered accountants i think uh, i hope i've got that right jill um what what does apply to smes as a threshold for issuing statutory demands if that were to increase how would it affect the flow of finance i'm going to toss that to you louisa to begin with so yeah, so let's think that through. The increase, of the what's the current threshold for statutory demands? $2,000. So in order to issue a statutory demand to a company, which is usually one of the precursor steps before putting another company into liquidation that they haven't paid a debt to, your, to you or to your company of at least $2,000. 
And there's talk of increasing it at the moment to $10,000 because what's happened in the bankruptcy system is that the bankruptcy notice, which in some ways is kind of like the equivalent of a statutory demand, but for individuals, um, went from being $5,000. So you, if somebody hadn't paid you $5,000 before, you could issue them a bankruptcy notice and then bankrupt them, whereas that has now increased to $10,000. So if they owe you five, six, dollars $7,000, you can't bankrupt them anymore. And right. as an example of the real flow and effect of this, um, I was talking with a lawyer who works in the uh, Strata Levy collection space and he was saying, there's all these people who haven't paid their strata levy. It's gotten to the stage where we might need to consider bankruptcy. The threshold change, and all of a sudden he's like, well, now we can't bankrupt a lot of them. So how what, how do we go about collecting this money? Right. Um, so there is a real flow and effect from raising um, a threshold level. So that's already happened in bankruptcy, but it hasn't happened with statutory demands yet. Um, statutory demand being that being issued yeah. to companies rather than to individuals. So there's real talk about what happens if it increases. Well, now, now I guess from Matt's point of view, though, he's trying to set finance, and the last thing he needs is uh, he he puts a deal into Macquarie Bank, and all of a sudden, you know, one of Louise's good friends has uh, has put a statutory demand notice on them. So I suppose from your point of view, Matt, the higher the, the, the you'd, you'd like a, a higher threshold, I suppose, uh, to to reduce uh, the possibility of nuisance. Stat demands would that be a fair? Do they ever? I guess do they ever sort of uh, stifle your ability to, to to get a deal approved? Well, not not normally. And when I'm talking my Atlas broker uh, hat on now, not really. Um, I, we don't yeah. see them too often, um, yeah. so uh, it doesn't really impact me. But you know, from a from a from applicant point of view, I'm sure, the higher the better for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, let's um, stick with you, Matt, as we talk about what uh, in your experience. Uh, what where you see SMEs going well? So let's start off by asking the question: What what are SMEs doing right that other professional advisors, uh, be they finance brokers, accountants, lawyers, or SME owners themselves, you, you must be seeing some that are really getting it right. Um, firstly, before we sort of get right down to the SME level, uh, what about at the at the industry level? What industries uh, seem to be going well f for you? It's pretty. It's pretty well publicised. It's you know transport's doing well. Logistics is good. Um, we're finding that there's quite a few manufacturing clients that are doing okay. Uh, uh, Civil works, earth moving, etc., are doing reasonably well. Um, so that, they're the ones that we're sort of seeing seeing a lot of um, strength and and perhaps growth. Uh, there's a talk of K, the K shape recovery. There's obviously obviously others that aren't, but that, they'd be the ones that I'd be that we see. A pretty strong balance sheets on at the moment. Actually, I wonder if I can um, impose on our producer just to flash up that headline from the Brisbane Olympics. Uh, I said a little bit earlier, I'd like to take the credit for this because I was up in Brisbane when it was announced, but that's probably not fair. But um, uh, they, that, that must be great news. For, well, it's not 100% confirmed yet. I don't quite understand the process. But, and I appreciate it's a 2032 games, but you were just talking, Matt, about earth moving and uh, civil works and all that sort of stuff. So that must uh, that must put a real spring in the step of some of your clients. Oh, it will. It will. I mean, and I think we're going to see a sustained uh, period of, of government um, government funds coming into the civil works and projects as well. So perhaps this extends that out further. Um, so, yeah, it's very welcome. It, as I said, it's sort of gone under the radar. I haven't seen a whole lot of hoo-ha about it, which I'm surprised by because... I know it's not confirmed yet, but it's certainly pretty positive news. 
Well, that's because you're in Victoria, Matt, and whatever goes on in Queensland, <laughs> you know, maybe less concerned. We're, just, we're locked in our house. That's why yeah, we don't yeah, look yeah. up there. Um, now, so that's so that's that's I guess good from a finance broker's point of view because you've got big heavy trucks, nice big uh, Tonka toys, the big yellow goods, and cranes, yep. and they're all nice big ticket items, and uh, they all certainly help. Uh, they'll certainly help from the commercial finance broker's point of view. Louisa, um, stepping aside from industries, because you mentioned before the the I guess the ones that we would have anticipated would have trouble, the the hospos and the tourism. Uh, so just moving away from industry, but just looking at regions. I mean, Vincent's is, well, certainly you're across the eastern seaboard, aren't you? You're in Queensland, Definitely. New South Wales, Victoria, WA? We're actually not in, we're actually not in Victoria. So right. we're, um, at, we originated in Brisbane right, and we yep. expanded up and down. So we've got Gold Coast and Sunny Coast offices. Yep, um, we yep. have a Sydney office, obviously. Um, and we have an ACT and Adelaide office. So we're actually Adelaide, not wow. in Melbourne, but we do cover Melbourne out of Sydney. Um, yep. And we cover um, Northern Territory, primarily out of Queensland and WA, depending on who's speaking with the person over there. So we do cover Australia-wide and Tasmania, of course. So, um, so which regions do you think? Which regions are going uh, are going well? I mean, you obviously, you, yeah, from your from your perspective, what do you? Which regions seem to be doing better than others? Um, my personal view is, I think New South Wales is going quite well. I think the recovery is going quite well, and things are picking back up. Um, uh, Queensland is a state quite heavily dependent on tourism, so that is hurting for obvious reasons. Um, uh, however, mining and things like that, there's. I'm not an expert in this area, but I know that there's issues with um, trade and uh, things going on with China, um, as well as prices. So um, I don't know the exact impact of that, but that's got to hurt in some way, I would think. Um, so I think it. I think it is dependent. I know you were saying let's get away from industries a little bit, but I think it is still dependent on industries and region as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. Look, I, I was in I was in Brisbane this week. I'm going to Melbourne next week, and I'm hoping to go to uh, WA the week after, assuming there's no breakouts anywhere and no sort of silly rules rules coming to place. Yeah, but I mean, WA is going gangbusters. Is is what I'm told. You've got a presence in WA. Cafe has a presence in WA. Matt, are they? What sort of feedback are you getting from them? Oh, one of the guys I spoke to over there, who's a leading broker, had his second busiest year ever last year. Right. So that's just wow. sort of give wow. you some context of, of WA's, uh, where WA's at. I think from a Victorian point of view, which is obviously where I am, we, we've spent so long in lockdown and, and, and you can see it. I can see it from Atlas's point of view. We got really heavily hit by the, the volumes coming out through through that period, through the lockdown period, but then, you know, coming through that into the November, December period, our pipeline grew by 230% in those months compared to the months before. The income hasn't really started dropping yet because we've got delays in equipment being able to deliver to the country, which is another issue, um, yeah, which is going yeah, to yeah. impact down the track, I think, when we look at uh, volumes from May, June with people trying to settle for the, you know, the, uh, the accelerated depreciations. So that's going to be an interesting scenario. But we're seeing Victoria now really growing. I know New South Wales, our business up there is doing okay. And we've got guys up in Queensland are doing well. So it's sort of, it, it's, it's, I, I think it's actually more industry based than state based yeah, that are the issues. Right. But I think, I think the big issue for small business with, regions is the border closures and and that's mm -hmm. really impacting the ability to be able to even plan to to like i run a business across the country with my business partners and 
you can't even plan to go to your offices anymore. So it's that sort of stuff is is incredibly hard to run a successful small business, and that's been mirrored in every industry. So you know, it's, yeah, uh, look, that's there's. An issue. The- I must say, there's, you know, we can do stuff over Zoom and telephone calls and all the rest of it, but I, I found just going to Brisbane, I was able to, you know, you know, get my hand on some work that, you know, maybe it would have come to me anyway. But, you know, I, I am worried about making it to WA because if anything breaks out in New South Wales or Victoria, then, then, then I'm cactus. But, you know, mm. what, what you've, you've got to make plans. Um, you do. Now, and then at, at the SME level, the SMEs, you know, putting industry and regions aside, uh, what, when you walk in the door, Matt, what, what, well, or if you're talking to them or Zooming with them, what, what, what's going well? What are, they, what are they getting right? Where are they succeeding? Uh, firstly, we're trying to walk in the door now. I think that's the yeah. first thing that's important. Um, uh, what they're doing well, as I said, I think there's a lot of uh, businesses that have got a renewed focus on cash flow and balance sheets where... Perhaps they didn't before. Uh, I think when everything was sort of felt like it was just sort of moving along nicely, they're, they're less focused on that. But so I feel I feel like there's a lot of talk, proactive conversations going on between their advisors and the SME business owners, uh, which has been great. So you get to the other end of the pandemic now. Hopefully we're on the way up, um, and it, it really opens proactive conversations. So as a <coughs> As a commercial broker and a, and a consultant with those businesses, you're really able to help them because you're talking about what they need for that next step. Um, so I really enjoyed that. That's that's the one thing that I would say has really improved in the last six sort of nine months there or thereabouts. And what, what, the, the accelerated appreciation. That's is that still um, that there's that's, there's still an enthusiasm for that. Oh, massively. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a terrific program um, and. Uh, there's still SMEs are right into it. Accountants are all, are all over it. I said I think I think the issue is uh, uh, going to be supply. I think that's yeah. and we're sort of trying to we're trying to get that message out to our clients now that you know order now because supply is an issue. Some of them think it's a sales pitch when it's genuinely not. It's you guys need to do it, uh, otherwise you're going to miss the boat this year. Yes, you can still claim it next year, but if you're looking for that deduction in June 30 this year, you really need to be ordering, especially your stuff that's coming from overseas, order it now. Well, used car prices are an indication of that, and, uh, you know, they are absolutely insane, used car prices, mm. and that's for mm. exactly the reasons that you're talking about. And my understanding that that applies right across all capital goods, Um you know, mm. uh, so so be, be they drills or yellow goods or whatever they might be. So, Louisa, before we turn to what we think uh, SMEs can do better, um, what 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 do you see them doing really well at the moment? What what are some of the things that you see some small businesses doing well that maybe other small businesses could uh, could could learn from? Yeah, I've seen really good adaptability through 2020 and continuing on to this year. You know, everyone loves and hates this word pivot, but in reality, people are doing it. People are innovative. People are resilient and that especially applies to business owners. The things that they've managed to adjust and change to try and thrive um, despite the landscape changing and despite really huge uncertainty and uncertainty is hard for business because businesses do try and plan a bit ahead and set themselves up for things. Uncertainty is really hard. But I've seen really good adaptability, flexibility, innovation through this period. Um, I am an accountant underlying things, so I have to add that um, 2020 was also a year where a lot of business owners talked to their accountant way more than they usually would. And hopefully those accountants have been really helpful to them, helped them through JobKeeper, helped them through getting all their lodgements up to date if they weren't already. And that close working relationship is something that I hope continues because I think it'll bring really good value for small businesses. 
Okay. All right. Well, look, let's move on to what they could do better. And I'll stay with you, Louisa. Um, you mentioned before cash flow forecasts, I think you, you said. I mean, what 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 could small businesses be doing better in, in that regard with, with your accountant's hat on? Yeah. So firstly, doing them would be the first step. And yeah. then also tracking actual results. So it's all nice to have a plan, as we all know. But if you're not tracking how you're actually going compared with the plan and writing it down, um, then some of the plan does lose some of its value. So small business owners wear so many hats. We all know that. And they're pressed for time. They're busy. They're trying to look after customers. They're trying to look after staff, recruit staff, manage JobKeeper, um, and have a bit of a life at the end of the day. And so sometimes recording actual cash flow and seeing how they're tracking um, can fall by the wayside, not because they don't value it, but just because they're so busy. And so that's what I'd say. Watch your cash flow really closely. Um, because even if you're doing really well with sales and even if your margins on your sales are quite good and you it, it, it's especially a trap with large contracts or big clients where they're a lot bigger than you are because they can pay on very slow cycles and you know if the guy's away then now you're on next month's payment um, cycle yeah. and that cash flow can really choke a small business so being on top of that um, chatting with the people who do pay your invoices um, not just when it comes to payment or not just when they're late, but having that ongoing conversation so that you know when the payment's coming so they're on top of it um, because it's your money at the end of the day. You've already earned it, which is why you've invoiced them. You just now need to make sure it comes in so you can pay your own bills without stressing yourself out. Now, just, just very quickly, I mean, one of the friends of Lunch Money uh, is Michael Ford, and he's got um, a, a fantastic package called Castaway. I think it's an industry leader. Most people that I speak to have certainly heard of it, if not using it. Uh, I mean, is that the sort of thing? Do you, do you use Castaway, or, what, or is it just a simple spreadsheet, or MYOB? What, 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 what do you like to see uh, SMEs using? Um, I don't mind what tool it is, because if they have a tool and they're using it, um, that's probably sufficient because cash flow forecasting isn't complicated. Um, there's a template spreadsheet that um, is what I give out to businesses if they don't have anything to start with, but there's software programs, Castaway, all these uh, various tools available. The most important thing about any tool is that we're using it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's for sure. And Matt, um, we're just looking at what small businesses could do better, um, I, I, you know, you, you, you know, your your day job is uh, is obviously presenting your clients to banks and financiers to to help them raise capital for equipment purchases or whatever it might be. I mean, what what is it that what are, what are the things that make your job a lot easier that you wish some small businesses were doing that they could do better, particularly given the the environment that we're in. <coughs> I'm very much aligned with Louisa on this. Cash flow is so important, uh, continuing with that consultation process, but understanding your cash cycle, you know, because you're in a contract, you may not get paid for a period of time or you might need to uh, you might need to buy the widgets to put the machinery together, so you need some sort of trade facility. So it's really doing your cash flows, understanding them and monitoring them and actually getting the funds in place before you need them. Um, we see it so often that they recognise that, um, well, they see a wonderful contract that they've, they've earned and they're going to start making the widget and then they go, oh, no, I haven't got enough cash in the bank. I haven't got available credit. So our advice is to really, with those with those types of businesses, to understand your cash cycle and, and get on the front foot. And they, if they do that, then they'll continue to build on the balance sheets that they've built over the last sort of six to 12 months. 
Now, a lot of the finance brokers I speak to, they're getting a lot of business, the, the equipment finance people I'm talking about now, but they're just saying that everything, you know, the, the, the deal that used to take two days to get through the bank is now taking two weeks if you're lucky. Uh, I mean, what are the banks asking for that they weren't asking for 12 or 18 months ago that, that SMEs would be wise to have prepped? I, a lot of the streamlined products have come off um, through the relief period. They're starting to come back now. Um, so it just means you're really you're moving towards a full uh, full doc application. Um, so you're really needing financials uh, up to date, 2020s, and some interims. Um, they need to understand their debtors and creditors. They need to. So it's really they've got to have all that uh, in place because you, know, you can put an application in, and given that those times have blown out, the last thing you want is more questions because that blows it out again. So um, really getting getting they've got to. If, I, I tell my guys to get too much information up front. Um, uh, rather than not enough because you don't want to disappoint the client going back a week later for more questions. Okay. Yeah, well, my advice to small businesses is to to get a good finance broker because uh, I'm sure, uh, Matt, you've, you know, you, you've probably got – how many clients have you got that you've had for 10 years or, pl- or more? Oh, heaps. Yeah, heaps. And just, just, just hold one of them in your head and think to yourself in that time, how many bank managers has that client had? <laughs> you know, Probably a better question is one of one of my best clients hasn't spoken to his bank manager in four years. Well, the, the point is that I, I always say mm. that the, the, a good a good uh, commercial finance broker has got the corporate memory. Um, mm. and knows probably knows more about the business than the client does, and so, certainly from a historical point of view in terms of relating the ups and downs mm. over the years and, and what the requirements are and how the business ticks. All right, listen, let's yeah. just have a quick look at a few uh, news headlines. Uh, now, this one here, uh, Aussie dollar bursts through 80 cents. Uh, now, this... Uh, this is a bit of a double-sided coin, uh, forgive the pun. I guess uh, on one hand, Matt, you would have, um, you know, it, it brings down the cost of capital goods. So um, mm-hmm. you'd have uh, some of your customers would be licking their lips at being able to buy, you know, uh, goods manufactured offshore cheaper. On the other hand, I understand that they're difficult to get hold of. I mean, is that a, mm-hmm. it is generally when you look across your clients, is a higher dollar good or, or bad? Oh, for importing equipment, especially when you're talking about the largest larger transactions, they're absolutely great. Like it's wonderful. Yeah. But you've got if you've got a client who's an exporter, it probably impacts them there. But um, I would say the vast majority of our clients are importing that heavy equipment. Um, they're winning, and the Australian dollar's going up. Yeah, and it's it, it, and you, you're seeing it. You are seeing that flow through to to the prices of capital goods. So, so it, it's something that people are talking about, or uh, it depends if the goods are sold in, in Aussie dollars or, you know, when you're doing letters of credit, often it'll be in euro or, or whatever. So it really depends on the currency. That That's that's depending on how it's sold as to whether it's flowing through. But those, it will definitely have an impact over time. And, Louisa, what, uh, what, what do you think? I mean, how does it affect uh, your, your world, the dollar? Is it, does a higher dollar mean more insolvency or less insolvency? Not really. It doesn't really have an impact because um, uh, someone's up but someone else is down. So um, if it's um, good for importers or good for exporters, it'll tend to be bad for the other one. So for insolvency itself, it tends to neutral out and it doesn't specifically have an impact. Yeah, I guess historically, I mean, you were saying before, the, obviously the hospos and the, the tourism sector, I mean, usually a low dollar is good for tourism, but I suppose if you can't get into the country in the first place, uh, it's, it's, it not, gonna really a, it's yeah. not going to make a big difference. All right, look, we've got another, what, what, what other news headlines have we got? We've got this one here, which 
caught my eye this morning from the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, we I know that people are talking about low interest rates and negative interest rates, but there you know there is a little bit of a theory that that, that interest rates could break out sooner rather than later. Um, what what are they? I, I guess. Matt, I mean, you're seeing interest rates from your from your lenders, and you've never seen them that low in, in your entire life, no. have you? So, so ne never. No. Yeah. So, I mean, what yeah. is there any? Yep. I was going to say, my view on interest rates is well, it depends on the on the tolerance for inflation, I guess. But I mean, I, I can see them going up well before the sort of 2024, 2023 years, based on what I'm seeing now. Uh, I'll be very surprised if they're down this long for you know two, three years, I think they'll start to move. Um, uh, but it really depends on what the tolerance for inflation is. Yeah, I guess it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, if there was serious expectation of rates going up, then you would have clients wanting to, you know, because, because equipment finance is all on fixed rates, right? So if you yeah. thought interest rates were going up, you'd sort of need to take advantage of rates now. But but who knows? They could, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, they could as easily go down, of course, uh, as as yeah. they might um, as they might go up. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I personally, I, I'm willing to to put myself out there and say I think that interest rates. Uh, and this is not financial advice, so uh, <laughs> uh, take take your own advice. But but I, I would it would not surprise me if interest rates break out uh, a lot sooner than, than than what you might expect. And um, that's 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 my view. I I, I take a, a bit of a pessimistic view of all the money printing. I, I just don't understand how how you can keep the illusion going. But I don't know. Anyway, what, what what's your view on interest rates, Louise? I suppose the threat is that if interest rates do go up, you know, people that have borrowed. You know, home loans at one point nine percent. If they're suddenly looking at three point nine percent, it's three point nine percent. Not in your time, Louisa, but certainly in my time, and maybe a little bit in Matthew's time, they're a lot higher than that. Uh, but three point nine percent, for argument's sake, we would have thought that was a dream rate. Certainly, when I first got married, mm -hmm. for argument's sake. So, but Louisa, what what do you? What's your view on interest rates? Oh, well, firstly, these good Asian genetics. I might be a bit older than you think I am. Um, in in terms of interest rates. I think they will go up. I have no insight as to when. Um, I do know that people tend to not plan ahead for, for interest rate rises. Um, and when they take a home loan or something like you said at a really good rate, very few of them I find factor in what happens if the interest rate goes up, you know, a whole percentage point or two percentage points. Um, and so that could catch some people out. I think the flip side to that is what a house price is doing. So this is on the residential side, obviously, um, because if if there's equity in their house from the house prices going up, that may save them from issues anyway because they might be able to refinance or do something like that or draw down on that equity. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it is something to watch um, because in times of economic prosperity and if we're heading back into economic prosperity, there tends to be a little bit more availability of credit and when there's more availability of credit, there tend to be people who mismanage it as well. So they do need to be quite careful that they don't overextend, but that they get the capital they need in order to grow their businesses or grow whatever they're um, trying to do with the capital. Yeah, well, we've got uh, I've got a uh, a comment here that uh, it's a little bit like getting a gym membership and then uh, and they're not doing anything about it. You know, uh, sometimes with with, uh, with with those. With, I mean, it's interesting that the house. 
the thing about house prices, when, when asset prices do go up, as you said, all of a sudden there's all this equity and people are able to borrow. And it's a little bit of a problem um, for, for their accountants because it means that people don't face their problems necessarily. It's, it's you know, bor borrowing your way out of trouble. I, I've always said that actually, Louisa, particularly when it comes to what you do and what we do in terms of providing cash flow funding and obviously you're providing uh, the ability to restructure, um, uh, these are only... These, these things only buy time, right? They, they're not solutions, right? I mean, a restructure is not a solution any more than a cash flow finance facility solution. All it's doing is buying you time to to address the problems, to fix the business, to you know, or to make uh, you know make the uh, the opportunity to grow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know, Matt, you're not. Do, do you have any Do you have any homeland people under your roof, or do you? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. we do that. Yeah, yeah, yep. we got four. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, what do you stick them in the back corner somewhere, or what's the? <laughs> no, they work from home, mate. We're in Melbourne. Right. 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 Yeah. Right, okay. And uh, well, I mean, I guess they must be going gangbusters at the moment. Yeah, um, they have. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been a great year from a homeland point of view. I mean, everyone's looking to refinance, and now you've got the home builder scheme from um, uh, from the feds as well, and lots of incentives which have, you know, really, really, we're doing a lot of house and house and build packages at the moment as well. So, and then you've got first home buyers still coming into the market. So, um, yeah, the home line side is 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 very strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just something you said there about restructure and yeah. buying time that I just wanted to add something to. So sometimes a restructure buys time, but it depends how you do it. Sometimes a restructure can actually fix the fundamental problems. So okay. just say that um, a business might have like the wrong cost structure, too many fixed costs, too many premises, too many locations. Say a lot of retailers or fashion retailers or mid-level fashion retailers have this problem at the moment. The restructure can actually fix some of the structural problems, um, but restructures are as broad in you know, type and nature as a piece of string as long sort of thing. So you can use it as a tool for so many different things. So sometimes you're buying time, sometimes you're fixing cost-based cost structure, sometimes you're fixing, um, you know, other things. So, um, so, so broad. But, yes, buying time is one of them. Um, but it can be more if you want it to be more too. I 100% agree with you. I 100% agree with you. But I think that it gives you the time to do those things uh, as long yeah. as you do do the things because it can, I'm sure you've seen many a time, I've seen, you know, you, 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 they go through the restructuring process, and all they really do is rub out, rub out their creditors. When what they should be doing is doing exactly what you just said, um, uh, which no doubt happens under your watch, Louisa, uh, which is you know address address cost base and address asset structure and uh, and and, uh, and all of that sort of thing. All right, listen, believe it or not, we we're, we're sort of pushing up out of time, so uh, I will give the second last word to you, Louisa. Well, just going to say to small businesses, um, do be looking down the road at what is coming. Have a plan, write it down, talk it through, make it the best plan possible. Know that there will be variances to your plan because unexpected things happen. We've all lived 2020 where, you know, it's the year of the unexpected. Um, but you can do it. You can work it out. There's a path through it. So give it a go. Louisa believes in you. Okay. Uh, and Matt, what's your, uh, what's your uh, closing, closing thoughts? Yeah, I, I echo that. I think it's a real time now to look for growth. I mean, there's opportunities everywhere out there. You've just got to do it smart. And so then once you know what your opportunities are, put your plan together so that you can access the capital to make it happen. Um, so everything's just about planning and having the right advisors by your side. 
Well, I think that something, my, my theory is uh, something that's going to impact both of you is that uh, I think there's going to be a lot of merger and acquisition. So a lot of businesses buying mm. other businesses, particularly you said before, Matt, about businesses uh, using their balance sheets. And it yeah. won't surprise me to see that strong businesses that have paid down some debt using their balance sheets to to buy other businesses this year. And this this will affect Louisa as, uh, as much as it will affect you. And uh, with that, um, next week uh, I have Andrew Cassim, who is a business broker, who's going to be stepping us through that uh, stepping us through that process. Thank you so much, uh, Louisa Sijabat. Uh, for joining Thank us you. and Matt Atkin. It's been fantastic. It's been a lot of fun and you can tell how much fun it's been because it's gone so quickly. So uh, thank, thank you to all. Thank you. No, you're very, very welcome. Very welcome. All right. Well, thank you to everybody who's watched and we'll do it all again soon. Cheers.